Okay, good. Let me have your attention, please. Okay, tonight uh, we are beginning uh, our Wednesday night ministry series. Sorry, Thursday night. What day is this? Thursday. Thursday night ministry series. Uh, we've actually been in Exodus already. We started it last spring. Before that, we were in Genesis for a year and a half. Could you believe we spent a whole year and a half going through Genesis? Slowly, chapter by chapter, just getting into all the rich details in Genesis. Uh, then we started Exodus. So we felt that before we continue in, Gen in uh, Exodus, we would just give an overview tonight uh, of some of the highlights. Just so that all the, the new people here could get caught up to date. We're all on the same page. And then we'll continue working our way through uh, this semester and probably even another semester after this. It's hard to say. Um, well, let's all read Roman numeral one together. The Bible is a wonderful book. Do you all agree? Yes. The Bible is a wonderful book. Yes. Oh, it's marvelous that we have this book called the Bible. Um, and that word Bible actually means the book. You know, there's so many millions and, and millions of books in the world. Actually, on this campus, there are millions of books. In the, uh, in the PCL, there's over two million books, I believe. And then you've got the, uh, the Presidential Library up on the hill over here. It has another 2.3 million uh, documents and books and so forth. Millions. That's just a, on this little campus. <laughs> but of all the millions and millions of books on the whole earth, there's one that's called The Book. The Book. Uh, and this book is composed of 66 books. Um, some of the books in the Bible that, that make up the entire thing are only one chapter long. They're very short. They were written as a letter to somebody. Others are quite lengthy. They go on and on for chapters and chapters. But altogether, these 66 books compose the one book, the Bible. And this book, it took at least 1,600 years to write. Um, some people think it was even longer. It depends on, you know, the book of Job. Some scholars believe it may have been contemporary with Abraham. If that's the case, the Bible is even hundreds of years longer, uh, or uh, it took hundreds of years longer to write. But uh, at least from the time of Moses, uh, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, to the time of John, uh, he passed away close to 100 A.D. That's a span of about 1,600 years. And the Lord used over 40 different authors, 40 different people, to write and Peter tells us that these writers were born. They were carried along like a ship, born by the wind, carried along by the Holy Spirit as they were writing. This, they were being carried along. So the writing is actually God's writing. Even though it was written uh, by the hands of more than 40 different people over the course of at least 1,600 years, and actually, these 40 different people 
were from all walks of life. Some were farmers or fishermen. Uh, some were kings. King David, King Solomon. Some were, uh, one was a medical doctor. All different kinds uh, of people. Some were shepherds. But the Lord used all these ones and carried them along uh, by the Spirit to compose, to write, to put down words, words on pages that were passed down from generation to generation, unchanged. And what we have in our hands today, the book, has come to us from God. And this book, it tells us in, in point C here, it says it's God-breathed. Let's read that scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Let's read it all together. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for conviction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Do you know that without the Bible, you would be not complete? Because, why? Because you don't have uh, the breath of God imparted into your being. You know, this is the main function of the Bible. The main function of the Bible is not to give us knowledge and sentences and paragraphs and stories and so forth. The main function of the Bible is to impart God into us. Yeah. It's God-breathed. God breathed it out. And it got written down by men who were born by the Holy Spirit. And we need to breathe it in. Actually, you might be able to summarize in two words. Um, <clears throat> intention and infusion. Through the Bible, God shows us His intention. And through the Bible, He infuses Himself into us as the holy breath. The Scripture is God-breathed, and we need to breathe it in. The way we breathe it in is by prayer. You know, when you pray, prayer is not a mental exercise. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. You have to exercise a deeper part of your being. That's your human spirit. And when you exercise your spirit to touch the Word of God, you get the Spirit imparted, infused into your being. That's the main function of the Bible. You, some of you might know the verse in Matthew 4.4, the Lord said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. That's our food. We can breathe it in. We can feed on it. I hope some of y'all are in the Bible reading schedule. I hope all of y'all are in the Bible reading schedule and are taking some time every morning to breathe in the few selected verses. They're juicy verses. I had an enjoyable time this morning praying those verses with another brother here in this room. And we enjoyed God's breath infusing himself into us. Uh, you know, this point D, it says it's God himself. Could you believe this book is God himself? It came out of God. God is embodied in that book. The Lord told the Pharisees in the New Testament... He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but yet you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. In other words, he was telling them, if you 
come to the Word, to the Scriptures, you have to come and find me. I'm here. God is here, embodied in the Word. And, uh, and God is what? God is light. God is life. God is love. God is supply. God is wisdom. All these things and more get imparted into us as we come to the Word of God and we exercise our spirit to touch this Word, to take in this Word, we get God! Yes. Have you had that experience? You come to the Word of God and you get God! Yeah. Actually, I know, uh, you know, there's a verse right before this one, before uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, verse 15, Paul tells Timothy, he says, You have known the sacred writings from a babe which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Well, I knew uh, a guy, actually he's a brother now, praise the Lord, but he told me this story. He was here at UT, and he was a heathen, and um, he just wanted to party all the time, and this and that. One evening, he was in his apartment, and he was totally bored. He had nothing else to do. And sitting on his coffee table was a Bible, which his roommate had picked up and just laid there. And he saw it. And he had nothing, Justin, he had absolutely nothing else to do. Otherwise, he wouldn't have picked it up. <laughs> but he told us, he picked up that Bible and he started reading. And he started reading. And I don't think he got more than five chapters into the book of Matthew. And he got saved. He got God. As he was reading the first few chapters of the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, he just realized within himself, Oh God, I don't match this. I'm not like this. There's something wrong with me. I need you. Help me, God. He just opened his heart. And God got infused into his being, and that man got saved. And now he's serving the Lord in San Antonio. Praise the Lord. Uh, but this is what the Bible is. God is here. When we come to the Bible, we have to expect. We have to come full of expectation to find God, to touch God, right? Who is embodied in Christ who is now the Spirit in resurrection, and He's ready to breathe Himself into you time and time again for your supply, for your refreshment, for your food, to be nourished, to be enlightened, to be convicted. What does it say here? Uh, <clears throat> right? We, we need teaching. We need conviction, correction, instruction, and righteousness. We need to be complete. <laughs> we can't be complete unless we have the Word of God, the Scripture, imparting God into us. Um, <clears throat> Now, E says that the Bible is composed of two testaments. There's the Old Testament of 39 books and the New Testament of 27 books. And, of course, we're in the book of Exodus, which is part of the Old Testament. Um, and the Old Testament is mainly a prediction of Christ, predicting the coming of Christ in plain words, in shadows, in types, in figures. How do we know that? Because the scripture tells us so. And we can read, uh, let's all read together Luke 24, 27 and 44, go. 
and beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he explained to them clearly in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms concerning me must be fulfilled. This is the Lord in resurrection walking with two of his disciples and he told them that he already told them that all the things written in the law of Moses, that's basically the first five books of the Old Testament. They were written by Moses, uh, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is basically the entire Old Testament scripture is concerning what? Concerning who? Concerning Christ. So when we come to the book of Exodus, you better believe we're going to see Christ in Exodus. We're coming to Exodus not just to study some ancient, uh, ancient documents, um, historical value, and so forth. No, we're coming to the book of Exodus to see Christ, to find Christ. He told us He's there. He told us He's embodied in these words. He told us these words uh, are about Him. So we have to see Christ when we come to Exodus. So point two, now we come to the book of Exodus in the Bible. And Exodus, um, A says, it's the corporate experience of Christ. For those who were with us when we were getting into the book of Genesis, we saw that is mainly the individual experience of Christ. What you as an individual ex uh, believer experience. Um, and all, all the experiences there. You know, it's interesting that the book of Genesis ends with a dead man in a coffin. That's the very last verse. They embalmed Joseph and put him in a coffin, and he was there in Egypt. That's how the book of Genesis ends. But the book of Exodus begins with two million of the descendants of Jacob who was named Israel, there enslaved in Israel. Oh, sorry, in Egypt. Two million. They're enslaved in Egypt. And they corporately begin to go through various experiences. And um, I put this verse here, Exodus 14.30. It says, Thus Jehovah saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Well, this Israel here refers to the corporate group of people. The two million Jews, the two million descendants of the first Hebrew are there enslaved in Egypt. But when the word Israel is used in Genesis, it's referring to one person. This Jacob, this trickster, this uh, supplanter, who was dealt with by the Lord and eventually transformed into Israel, Prince of God. So, um, <clears throat> the experience of Abraham is our experience of being called by God. Have you been called by God? Yeah, hopefully you have, right? <laughs> I was called by God. A long time ago, uh, when I was alone, when I was by myself, I had the sensation God was calling me and I just opened um, how about the experience of Isaac Isaac uh, 
represents our experience of inheriting all the riches from the Father. And we are those who have received so much. Maybe we haven't discovered yet all the riches that we've received, but believe me, if you've received Christ, you have received all the riches of God as an inheritance. And the, for the rest of your Christian life, you're going to be discovering, discovering all these riches and enjoying all these riches and entering into all these riches. But again, that's on the individual side. And then you have uh, Jacob. Like I said, he was transformed into Israel. This is our experience of transformation. We all have to go through the experience of transformation. And the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is the all-wise, all-knowing God. And He knows exactly what we need to help us along the way so that we can be transformed to eventually match Him. Some, have you ever had this thought sometimes, why me? Why, why am I going through this? Oh Lord, why me? He knows exactly what we need to cause us to open to Him like that and cry out. And every time you open and every time you cry out to the Lord and call upon His name, even if you're yelling at Him, <laughs> He's imparting Himself more into your being. And there's more transformation going on and there's more confirmation going on until you eventually will be filled up with Him and you just match Him. That's His desire. So that's on the individual side, but corporately, listen, it's not easy to um, end up where God wants us to end up without the corporate side. In fact, it might not even be possible, I don't know. I suppose it's possible if someone is in a situation where it's, they just don't have a way to have the corporate experience. But we know from the Bible that the corporate experience is the consummate experience. And I, want, I just want to read a sentence on the back. You'll get into this later tonight, but it says, In our spiritual experience, there are two sides, the individual side and the corporate side. No doubt the individual side is basic, but the corporate side is richer, higher, and greater. The ultimate consummation and completion in our experience as believers is not individual, it is corporate. So we have to go on to Exodus. We can't stay in Genesis. Genesis was rich. It was marvelous. We enjoyed it for a year and a half. But brothers and sisters, we have to go on into Exodus to see the corporate experience. Yeah. It's richer. It's higher. It's deeper. It's more necessary in order for God to get what He's after. For example, one, uh, the way Exodus concludes is with the tabernacle built up and the glory of God filling the tabernacle. God gets a dwelling place on the earth. That's what He's after. But that's not possible without the corporate experience. So, um, I just put these verses from Ephesians here to show you the New Testament uh, in its consideration of this corporate experience. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, plural, 
even when we were dead in offenses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together with him, and seated us together with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, for we are his masterpiece. It's interesting, we is plural, masterpiece is singular. He's producing a masterpiece. But that masterpiece is not an individual Brian Palma. It's a corporate body of Christ. All the believers built up together corporately. And you know what? When you enter into the experiences of being built up corporately with others who aren't perfect yet, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we cry out, Lord, why me? <laughs> We might even think that we're something special until we get uh, enter into the corporate experience. I used to think I was the most patient person in the world. <laughs> Could you believe that, Matt? I could stand in a nice, cool stream in Pennsylvania and just with my fishing pole all day long and catch nothing and be totally content. <laughs> but one day I got married. <laughs> then I had kids, yeah. <laughs> but uh, my point is, not to be funny, but to realize the corporate experience will test us, it will expose us, it will cause things in our being to be dealt with. We might think we're something uh, before that, but once we start entering into the corporate experience uh, of the Christian life, then the Lord can really do business with us. He can really begin to change us and operate in us to produce the expression that He's after. Uh, now, the B says here that in the book of Exodus there are very detailed pictures of many things. And I just put eight things here. Um, <clears throat> some of you may know that the Old Testament is like a picture book. It's full of pictures, very detailed pictures. And sometimes we, we would have no idea what those pictures are about unless we had a little caption under it to tell us the main point. And that's what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the caption to all the pictures in the Old Testament. Um, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Well, we have the picture of mankind being fallen and enslaved. What does that really mean? We have to go back to the picture in the Old Testament. And it's there in Egypt. And you can see the bondage that God's people are in, in the world, under Pharaoh, who signifies Satan who has enslaved God's people. You know, Satan has developed the world system, and in the world system, there's a niche for every person. Whatever your little uh, unique desire is, there's a little niche for you. And you can give your whole life and be fully occupied in the world to the point where you have no time for God, and then you die, and it's over. Satan won. His world system is like that. 
And that's the picture that we see in the opening chapters of Exodus. God's people enslaved in the world, building up uh, Pharaoh's treasure cities, forced in slavery to make bricks out of clay and straw. Uh, then the redemption. You know, the New Testament talks about redemption. But it wouldn't, we just wouldn't have such a complete understanding of what redemption is unless we went back to the book of Exodus and saw the picture of the Passover and all the details related to it. We did that, right, last semester. We saw that. And what about baptism? You know, in the New Testament, it tells us to be baptized. But it doesn't tell us so much about baptism and the significance of it, but it points us to pictures in the Old Testament. Peter points us to the picture of Noah's flood. And you know, that's, that picture takes several chapters to develop, and it's full of details. But the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, he points us to the picture of the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus. And that picture takes many chapters to unfold it, to give the details of it, to describe it, And then we come away with an understanding of what baptism really is. You know, in, um, in Mark 16, 16, in the Gospel of Mark, it says, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. But if, uh, if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. So... What does it mean to be saved? See, that's the question. What does it mean to be saved? I know from that verse that if I don't believe, I'm condemned. But if I do believe, I'm not condemned. That means I'm saved from God's condemnation if I believe. That's all I need to do to be saved from God's condemnation is to believe. But that verse says if we believe and we're baptized, we get saved. Saved from what? What is it about baptism that's in addition to just believing? You have to go back to the picture. And when you go back to the picture, you can see something marvelous. There, in Egypt, in slavery, the people of Israel experienced Christ in figure as the Passover lamb. You know, that was the last plague that came upon Egypt. The death angel was going to come and was going to destroy the firstborn in every house. But God told Moses, tell the people to take a lamb without blemish and slay the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and go inside your house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That in itself is marvelous. He didn't say, when I see your good behavior, when I see that you straightened up your act and you're doing better. No, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood is sufficient for God. But, even though they were God's people and they experienced Christ in figure as the Passover lamb, because who's the real lamb of God? Jesus Christ, right? They experienced him in figure as the, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but they were still slaves in Egypt. 
They needed to be saved from Egypt. And God's way of salvation was through the Red Sea. Right? They had to go through the Red Sea. And when they went through, the waters covered over all the Egyptian armies. They got buried there. And the people of God came up on the other side to walk in newness of life. Right? Actually, that's the way Paul describes it in Romans 6. He says, we've been buried together with Christ in baptism that we might rise up to walk in newness of life, just as Christ was raised in resurrection. Well, you want to live the Christian life? You need to be baptized. You can be a Christian without being baptized, but you're enslaved, and you have no possibility to express and to live out the life you've received, the eternal life, the life of God. But once you're baptized... After you receive the life of God, you get baptized, you get buried together with Christ, you rise up, then you can walk in newness of life to express Christ on the earth and to represent Him on the earth. So baptism is crucial for God to carry out His purpose. So we need to believe and we need to be baptized that we can go on. The, the picture shows us that. And we spent a lot of time last semester getting into that picture. Then the picture of God's leading by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Um, the Lord's daily supply and care through the manna and the water coming out of the cleft rock. Uh, all these pictures. Um, we're going to start this semester with the law. You know, we're, we're up to chapter 19. And... Um, and at that point, God begins to unveil the law. But the law, it shows us, you know, it's not mainly something that we need to do. Commandments that you need to do. Actually, when, when God gave the law to Moses, and uh, <clears throat> Moses gave it to the people, the people said, whatever God has said, we will do. But you know what? God wasn't happy. The earth shook. The mountain was on fire. There was smoke. There was a loud voice. The people were afraid. The whole atmosphere changed because God was not happy with that response. He did not expect them to say whatever God has said we will do. He expected them to say, Oh Lord, we don't match your standard. Have mercy on us. The, the law shows man who God is. It shows him, shows man what God is. God is love. God is life. God is truth. God is light. All these things can be seen in the law. And then also, believe it or not, and as, as the semester progresses, you'll see this, the law is a marriage contract. It's a marriage contract because God desires to get married to his people. And um, you just consider that commandment. You shall have no other gods before you. If you and I get married, I don't want you to have any other husbands. No other men. I'm your only one. Anyways, it goes on. This is a marriage contract between God and his people. Um... <clears throat> And then, like I said in point eight, it's the building up of God's dwelling place on earth. The tabernacle is revealed through this marvelous picture. 
Uh, now C, this is the last point on the page, the central thought of the book of Exodus. And I just want to focus on the first two words. Christ is. The central thought of Exodus, Christ is. Christ is. Christ is everything. Christ is the redemption of God's people. Christ is the salvation of God's people. He's the supply of God's people. Christ is the means for God's people to worship and serve God. So that in Christ, the people of God may be built up with God together for them and God to meet, communicate, and dwell mutually. To say Christ is means I am not. <laughs> right? Christ is. And he's the means so that in him, you know, it's not in ourselves. Not in ourselves. Can, in ourselves, we can't do anything. But in Christ. And this is what Exodus will show us, uh, is that Christ is everything for God's people so that God can accomplish his purpose. So anyways, I'm going to end here. And what we want to do now, and typically what we do during this time, is we break up into small groups, maybe just with a few people around you, sitting around you. And we spend maybe 10 minutes just to read some excerpts that expound a little bit on these points and have some fellowship. And then what we want you to do after we call everybody's attention again is that uh, there'll be maybe 10 minutes for whoever wants to stand up and share something they enjoyed, something they saw, something they were impressed by from, from the excerpts or from the outline points. Um, and that way we get more of a corporate message here. We get your input and, uh, and we really enjoy that every week. So let's do that now. Let's just have some small groups for about 10 minutes and then we'll call everybody's attention again in about 10 minutes.